about what's your position on Kubi Cuddle? <laughs> Cube CTL. Cube CTL. It needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics. What you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BUP changes. May, may God be with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node VSAN. Aw, uh, guys. People you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to GigaCast episode 33 for Monday, November 25th, live to tape from the GigaCast headquarters. I'm Britton Johnson. And live from an undisclosed location, I'm Tony Reeves. <laughs> from parts unknown. Yes. Yeah. So what's really going on, Tony? Please give me the information that I'm dying to know. I am displaced from my normal office studio because it's under construction. Yeah. Modeling everything, gutted it. I know, had you... to get rid of the dog pee and just <laughs> That's the that's the best just... part of the story. Please tell me about the dog pee. Oh, so the people that owned our house before us, they must have used the basement. We're in a quad level. They must use the basement as a kennel when they were away because there was just dog pee rings everywhere that I couldn't get rid of no matter how many times I rented professional carpet cleaners and I just decided I had enough and ripped it all out and then I went a little farther and now there's not even any studs on the walls. So. That, that's the fun thing about demo day is when you really get going, it's hard to stop. You just, yeah, you, you just... I, I pretty much stopped at the concrete. <laughs> you just start swinging that hammer, man, and it just keeps going. Yeah, so now we're putting in new walls and, and framing right now. So we, we've started the rebuild, but we're still a ways off. Yeah, I'm, I'm like this close to finishing my, my back porch remodel project, and the, the, the painters are showing up next week, so... We're, awesome. we're getting very, very close. And um, this, it's the saga of all home improvement projects. Nothing can ever go right. Like our windows were wrong twice. And so oh, it happened a second time. Yeah, we're in negotiations with the window manufacturer. And so their their first offer to make it right was giving us 50% off. <laughs> and we're just like, no, you, you've yet to deliver everything we've ordered. So, you know, let's let's push yeah. this as far as we can go here. But... It's messed up. So we have a super special episode today. Um, I I ran into a guy at the Chicago UserCon, and he looked familiar to me, and I said, I think that's Kyle Ruddy. And I went, and I, and I introduced myself, and, you know, he asked him to be on the show, and he's like, sure, what the heck? And I don't know if, I don't know if you, you know, knew anything about us beforehand, or if you're just like... What did I just sign myself up for? But welcome to the show, Kyle Reddy. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> Who are these guys? With trepidation and fear in his voice. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because Kyle told me that he a couple guys from the EUC team reached out to him, and I was like, what were their names? And he was like, Britton and Tony. And I was like, oh, they're not from EUC. <laughs> yeah, neither one of us are EUC. Yeah. So yeah. harsh. Cody. He didn't actually so say harsh. that. That was part of the joke. That was part uh, of the joke. And Cody Diarklin is back. Things in confidence. Cody, this is your what fourth appearance? <laughs> I stopped counting. Yeah, you're. you're I'm, I'm an unofficial third host. Yeah, you and Tim. <laughs> you, you, you and Tim Davis are like our groupies. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. <laughs> I gotta get going, guys. It was a great time. Him and his iPads, his AirPods Pro, are on the move. Yeah. 
How are you liking the pros there, by the way, Cody? They are a significant improvement, but what I will say is that um, the regular AirPods are still better for phone calls. I tested that out at VMworld as well as KubeCon. The okay. regular ones are better on phone calls, but the noise canceling on these, I feel like, is better than my quiet comforts. So interesting. It's KubeCon. I thought it was KubeCon. It's not KubeCon. What about what's your position on KubeCuddle? <laughs> it's, what? It's KubeCTL. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard many, many different ways, and some people say Kubi Cuddle. Kubi Cuddle, interesting. Yes, there's, there's, that's another one of those big old Twitter debates and polls that people put out there. Okay, then. So, um, Cody, let, let's just get through some of your updates first. I know that you, you changed roles like a couple of times in the last year, right? Uh, not a couple of times the past year, once, but just once. In, the, in my time or in twice. my time at VMware, I've changed the roles a couple of times. But some, something more recently happened. So where are you now? Yeah, so I moved into the uh, cloud native applications group. So uh, working on the Townzoo stuff, as your T-shirt indicates. Uh, so I've joined that group, working on how we bring Kubernetes to the vSphere admin. It was part of kind of like the Project Pacific stuff, as well as like talking about kind of our open source story and how. We bring all the stuff under a common Kubernetes framework. Well, not necessarily framework, a package called Tanzu. Okay. All right. That's that's interesting. So here's my stupid question around this whole project Pacific Tanzu mess. And I've I've I tried to get it answered by Tim Davis and um Daniel Palusic after VMworld, and they did their best, but you know. They're not. They're not in your feet in, in your area. So, I, my my dumb question is this: During the presentation of Tanzu, I feel like it was talked about two different ways what this thing actually does, and part yeah. of it sounded like there was um, Kubernetes was running on top of the hypervisor. Part of it sounded like it was, you know, the hypervisor running on top of Kubernetes, and then part of it sounded like they were just kind of meshed together. So what's actually going on with this integration? It's definitely more of the more of the third. So like technology-wise, Kubernetes is running within within the hypervisor. Okay. Right? So in this case, like the, the control plane exists within within the system. Now there's no like a multiple like parts of the or multiple levels to this, right? It's not it's not as simple as just saying Kubernetes is running inside of vSphere, right? Like, yes, like the virtual kubelet is living within within the hypervisor, but then there's a number of other things that come into play, like the NSX components for the supervisor cluster still live outside of the kernel, right? Like, and you can't have can't have a functional project specific environment without the NSX uh, networking on top of the supervisor cluster. So, like, even though even though it is truly integrated into into like ESXi it's there's still a number of components that also live outside like harbor lives outside from like a image repository standpoint so it's it's that's probably why you get like a lot of mixed not a lot of like mixed answers on it is because there is a number of levels to the to this integration um but the the short of it is that the is that like the core of kubernetes lives within within the hypervisor okay not layered on top that's that's mostly clear, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. 
by definition, by definition, if something is mostly clear, it's not clear. <laughs> well, you know. I, I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> you were waiting to use. Yes, that I was. I'm working on my 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 audio clip game. So nice. I, I think the biggest like the big confusion that I see isn't so much around that aspect of it. Is like we've done. I don't say we, we haven't done a bad job by any means, but like we've created a little bit of confusion with with the Tanzu stuff um, because there's a number of, of layers to even that. And like for example, at KubeCon, a number of VMware employees came up and said, "Hey, when does Tanzu GA? Tanzu can't GA. It's a it's a suite of products. It's a suite oh, of okay. items. Like it's not. You can't go to an SE and say, "Hey, can you sell me Tanzu?" You can say, hey, can you sell me Tanzu Mission Control? And Mission Control is that, that like multi-cluster management plan, the policy plan, so on and so forth. You can say, hey, sell me Project Pacific. Well, you can't say sell me Project Pacific right now. You can say, hey, when it comes out, I want to buy it. Right. But like both of these technically live under aspects of the Tanzu family. Um, Tanzu being like the build, run, manage thing. Uh, so like that's I, I see that confusion coming up a lot where people are like, hey, what is what actually is Tanzu? And people will use Tanzu and Tanzu Mission Control interchangeably, but they're they're not. Mission Control lives underneath the Tanzu umbrella. Yeah. Tanzu is all thing is basically like a common a common set of all the things we're doing Kubernetes wise within within VMware it's, underneath a central brand. It, it's it's just where you know as as VMware grows and expands and develops these things, it just yeah, it makes it especially if you're a salesperson in the field, it makes it that much harder to do your job. <laughs> but and that's why we have guys like you, Cody. So thank you. All right. So Kyle, certainly not guys like Kyle though. Yeah, certainly not guys Ky- like Kyle. Kyle, I I don't I I know some of what you do, but I don't know like what area of within <laughs> VMware you are in. So please give me the sixty second synopsis of who Kyle Ruddy is. All right, so I'm in the technical marketing group for CPBU or Cloud Platform Business Unit. Okay. And that business unit is responsible for vSphere and VMware Cloud on AWS. Now, within that group, I'm focused on all things automation. So if it's an API, if it's a CLI, if it's an SDK, uh, chances are I'm going to be your, your tech marketing person for that. So I'll be the person creating content, answering questions, things of that nature. Uh, as long as it doesn't come down to roadmap, because I avoid that like the plague. I do not want to be the person who is like Kyle Ruddy told me. <laughs> I don't want to be that person. And and in that kind of scenario, you can always just blame the Beard Twitter account. That's right, because it's not yours. I still don't have access so, yeah. to log into it, so yeah. I, I mean, I don't. And then a uh, quick, quick throwback to, to Cody's comment. While you cannot buy Project Pacific, you can sign up for the beta. Mm-hmm. That is something that's, that's live right now. And Kyle, I assume that with all of this new stuff coming with uh, the Tanzu platform, management platform, et cetera, and Pacific, that there's new APIs that you're going to be able to tie into with PowerCLI and, and kind of build things out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything like the the real goal behind everything that we're trying to do is is try and provide some sort of uh, API layer for you to be able to access. You know, regardless of of what language it is, you know, if it's PowerCLI, if it's Python, if it's Go, if it's you know whatever, you know, if if it's REST based in its nature, you can use whatever language that you want to. So that's that's pretty much the goal. Cool. Interesting. Tony, do you have any any burning questions that you really want to ask Kyle? Um, 
so Kyle, you and I, I don't know if you remember, we first met a couple of years ago at Indie, Indie UserCon. You were doing a really, really interesting talk on PowerCLI and how it tied into the vSphere stack. And, and I came up to you afterwards and I'm like, man, I'm a sysadmin. Uh, this was obviously before I worked at VMware. And how do I get started? Uh, is there is there some of the advice that you gave to me that day uh, on books, et cetera? Can you give some of those examples to some of our listeners and or viewers and kind of help people that maybe are in that same uh, situation that just don't know where to start, kind of get a, a kickstart, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the, you know, the big thing that when it comes to Power CLI that I feel like people don't don't really know or understand is that Power CLI is built on top of PowerShell. So like if you have a fundamental understanding of PowerShell and how PowerShell operates, then you know you already have a head start in using PowerCLI. Uh, so having an understanding of PowerShell super important. Um, so you know definitely check out some of the books that are out there, like uh, Learning PowerShell in a Month of Lunches, uh, Don Jones, Jeffrey Hicks, um, some of the longtime PowerShell folks um, are involved in that project. They've also started releasing a PowerShell scripting in a month of lunches. Um, that's another fantastic resource. You know, if, if you're into you know book learning, mm -hmm. there is also Pluralsight. Uh, Pluralsight just this last weekend had a had a free event where basically you could watch you know anything that's within Pluralsight's library for free. Um, they do that occasionally, so you know it is a paid service. So if if that's not something that you're already signed up for. Uh, you know, occasionally you can get free access to that as well if you're a V expert or an MVP or uh, you know some of those other designations. Um, you know, Pluralsight has a has an extensive catalog of of PowerShell uh, videos, um, and then uh, pretty much from from that point, it it's kind of you know learning by doing. Uh, mm -hmm. That was certainly the way that I was able to get started was just you know log into an environment and start doing stuff. Uh, and one of the really cool things that that I think isn't used as much as it should be is the VMware hands-on lab. You know, oh, so yeah. the HOL, it, it has PowerShell and PowerCLI in every single lab that's out there. Uh, it, you know, for the most part, PowerCLI is doing you know some of the work underneath the covers, so it's a requirement. So you can log into the HOL, you can hit PowerShell, you can hit PowerCLI, uh, and, and you can just basically use their environment as a uh, as as your lab environment, at, as it were. Um, and then as far as PowerCLI specific stuff, there's there's always the PowerCLI reference book. Uh, folks like Brian Graff, Alan Renouf, Luke Deakins uh, put together the, the second edition uh, that's the, the most current version that's out there and available. Um, and then Pluralsight also has a couple, couple different um, video series that are on PowerCLI itself too uh, that are pretty good to check out. Cool. Thank you. Cody, one thing I like to try to get out of guests that come on the show is like, is there something new, cool, or, you know, on the horizon that you're super excited about right now? I mean, even outside of what your normal day-to-day -day tech stuff that you work on is. You know, I, th I think that the, so there was a post made on, on Twitter recently by, um, by Corey Quinn. And he he made a comment about Kubernetes. He's like a very vocal, not Kubernetes fan. Um, and he made a, a comment about like that he doesn't necessarily agree with everybody who's throwing like all of their other skills into learning the deep complexities of Kubernetes, so on and so forth. 
Um, and he said a comment, and it was like Kubernetes is only going to get easier as time goes on. It's not something that's going to stay as like complex as it is today. Um, and like I think that there's there's some truth to that, and I think it's really interesting to see like how like the actions we're taking with Project Pacific and stuff are are, are making Kubernetes more consumable to like the kind of quote unquote traditional admin. So man, I, I think looking into looking into that space, digging into like some of the stuff that's active in like the CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, uh, like some of the projects that are that are out there that that solve problems that that admins feel. So like Tony looking at like Rook I, at Rook.io, it's like a it's a store, a Cloud Native storage for within a Kubernetes cluster. Like there's some really cool projects out there, like Rook's one, like I just said, Envoy from a proxy standpoint, like the service meshes of the world. So like console from HashiCorp or Istio or Linkerd. Like there's some really cool stuff out there. And like, I've been spending a lot of time, like really digging into like the service mesh concept and learning like what this is and like how, how it actually plays. Like this is a really, what's interesting about Kubernetes to me is that like, it's a platform that solves a lot. It has complexity associated with it, no doubt, but it solves a lot of problems that administrators typically have to go to other teams to solve. Uh, and there's there's trades off in complexity from like you know moving to containers and and all of that, but man, there's a lot of stuff that it just that it just solves in in really clever and interesting ways. So definitely like especially with Project Pacific coming and like like Kyle said the beta being there, like starting to dig into more of these these CNCF projects and and understanding more about like how those how those play as a as a V admin is is time well spent right now. And I think there's there's a lot coming with Tanzu and, and Pacific, but one thing that's a little bit interesting to me in my particular space in, in the HCI front and VCF front is we've got the capability uh, as of vSAN 6.7 U3, which dropped about the middle of August, we've got uh, cloud native storage all availability already where we can actually apply uh, the storage policy-based management, the secret sauce of vSAN to containers and communicate and manage those persistent volumes for uh, Kubernetes containers as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and the thing is like, you can do that still with like, that's not locked down to only vSAN, right? You can use that against NFS storage uh, on a system, right? So if you're not, if you're running your home lab and you don't have a vSAN cluster in play, you can do it against NFS storage uh, as well. Um, and for people who don't necessarily want to throw like a massive Kubernetes cluster in their home lab, use something like Kind. Kind's one of the Kubernetes SIG projects. So SIG means uh, special interest groups. There's a project called called Kind that makes it super easy to get a, a high availability uh, cluster locally on your laptop, right? Running in Docker. So Kind stands for Kubernetes and Docker. And from there, like you can easily go out and build a cluster with all of these tools in play. Uh, I use that to build the labs for KubeCon that we that we did. So it's there's a, a number of ways you can very quickly get experience with some of this stuff in really interesting ways. Kyle, is there anything you're super geeking out on these days? Uh, infrastructure as code is is pretty much the the big focus point of mine here in my spare time. You know, trying to you know kind of figure out and understand the the landscape of all the tools that are out there and available. Because uh, there there's you know for for a long time it was basically just you know, Terraform, and now there's uh, uh, what is it, Plumy that's that's come around, uh, and there's a couple other ones that are starting to you know kick into play, uh, Ansible of course, and you know all of these other pieces that that can kind of uh, you know if one doesn't solve all the problems, you can now start integrating them, uh, and it gets even a little crazier. 
Uh, so, you know, been looking at, at some examples of, of taking some, some Terraform, integrating in some Ansible and, you know, rolling out complete environments for, for my lab gear. Yes, you mentioned because obviously you know I'm a fan, Kyle. Like they, you mentioned, Plumi in there, they dropped a like a really cool feature that I thought was like in, the, in their newest version. And it's I don't know if you've seen it, the Plumi watch command. Have you seen that yet? No, not yet. So imagine like a live updating like Plumi program, right? So like as you you link up, you you run the Plumi watch command, and it's watching this this directory, and as you save like a new resource in there, Pulumi runs automatically on that thing that's been that's been added in and adds it. So like think about us in the in the the vSphere context. You might start off with just a, a VM and save it and it goes out and provisions the VM. And then you save another stanza and it creates another VM. And then you save a network and it creates a network, right? So it's doing this like live iteration of of infrastructure's code, which I think is just a really, really powerful thing to to watch. Like there's definitely use cases around it, but I think it's one of those things that really looks awesome to see as you're as you're saving all of this into kind of that that infrastructure's code manifest to watch it actually like provision live as you're saving it. And Pulumi has some awesome Kubernetes stuff too, so I'm a huge fan of there. They just released Proswalk for Kubernetes, which is pretty awesome. So C Cody, I thought you were saying you're a big fan of Kyle's. I am a big fan of Kyle. Oh, okay. Just getting that clear. Yeah. Despite <laughs> dis despite our banter. Yeah. So how I would mean, you, you like to, I almost want to take that a step further. So how would you use watch in, in terms of like usage with CICD? I mean, cause is that not performing the same processes or is it? I think it's a different, it's a different use case, right? Like watch is okay. more for like the interactive. So it's like, if you want to be able to achieve a CICD locally, like without, without having to like commit code in, cause when you look at like CICD, so like continuous integration, continuous delivery for people who are listening and not not familiar in the space. Uh, that like flow typically looks like hooking it up to Git, GitHub, GitLab, and committing code in. And as those that code is either merged, PR'd in, or committed right into master, like a set of actions will fire off that do a thing. So you can wire that up to like Jenkins, you can wire up to Circle CI, you can wire it up to GitLab directly if you if you're running GitLab in your environment. And you can have these platforms run your your Terraform up or your Pulumi up to go and actually deploy this infrastructure out. And that's like when, when you talk to those vendors, that's like what they see like, quote unquote mature enterprises doing. They'll manage all of their deployments through something like a Git platform, right? Because you get all of these extra special things in there. You get the ability to have issues. So if me and Kyle are working back and forth and Kyle deploys something and I see a problem, I can file an issue. Kyle can check out my logs, you can look at, you can ask me for feedback. We can collaborate on solving this together. Or if I see a problem in Kyle's code, I can issue a PR against it. Like maybe he, really silly example, maybe he deployed, but he used the wrong template in, in his, in his, uh, in his Plumi program or Terraform manifest. I can go in and modify that, submit a PR, say, Hey Kyle, like I noticed you're using the wrong template here. You should have used this one. Kyle can look and I say, Oh yeah, I messed up. He can merge that in and CICD will automatically take that and rerun it to, to correct the environment. And because we're working with declarative platforms here, whatever we put in, like whatever we've, we've checked in from a code standpoint is going to be what comes out in the environment. It becomes this, this static definition of, of the thing you're building. And like it's, it's, 
this is like a road that's coming together between like the Kubernetes world. It's always been a declarative, a declarative place. And these mature infrastructure as code programs that are kind of merging into the one solid stream. I think I understood yeah, 2% two per, two of that. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's, it's interesting you say that, right? Like it, it, I know you're, I know you're making a joke for it. And I know you got more than 2% of that. Well, a little um, but not, I but mean, this it's right, not but, much, but this right here, like this, like learning APIs, like, like Kyle represents or learning Kubernetes like me is not, is not like the thing to learn because like that's technology. that's always going to change. It's going to get easier. There's going to be a million ways to do those things. Like the APIs thing. You can jump into Postman and replicate most API calls very quickly as someone right. who's never touched an API call right. before. Like Kyle or I can walk you through in 15 minutes how to do this in Power CLI or, Power, or PowerShell more so, how to do it in, in Python. Like doing an API call is not the, the challenge. It's not the thing that you should really learn how to do. Mm -hmm. Learning how to scale this and how to implement it in the right way, things like learning what is CICD, what is infrastructure as code, like these foundational concepts, these are the things that people should be investing their time in. Okay. Like, yeah, pick your tech that you want to learn about because, hey, coming in with knowledge about vSAN is why, is why Tony has a job. Coming in with knowledge about NSX is why you have a job. Coming in with VRA knowledge is why I have a job. Coming in with a good beard is why Kyle has a job. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, no, like, but like having your, your pet technology is a good thing. But like when you think about the stuff I really need to learn, people should be learning how to go and implement CICD even in a basic way, right? Because that's how you scale this stuff, and that's how you make it real. Like organizations aren't aren't consuming. Many people are consuming Terraform in the. We just lost Tony. Yeah. Uh, we'll many people going. are consuming consuming Terraform from the command line, but you talk to like John who works at who works at HashiCorp now. Uh, and he'll tell you that the mature customers are wiring this up into CICD and they're using GitOps to, to deliver this. So people should learn CICD. They should learn what is GitOps. They should learn infrastructure as code and they should learn like these uh, config management platforms like a Puppet, Ansible. Like, What are these things doing? Worry less about the tech and more learn how these things work and what the design pattern is. Interesting your thoughts, Kyle, on that. Oh no, I, I mean I totally agree. I, I think the what's happening out here is is kind of this unification of how we're deploying workloads. So I think there's going to be a tremendous shift in focus on how to really be able to uh, deploy and automate the, the workloads that you need um, in the ways that that make the most sense to you and and your your organization. Uh, so having an understanding of those fundamentals is going to be better than knowing the each individual technology and how they operate. So like the, it's you, all you, related to to each other. You guys are you're great because you're you're answering my question before I asked it. So my my scripted big big question for the episode is you know Ariel Sanchez tells me I should learn Linux and containers when I talk to him endlessly. Um, Chris Williams, who's been on the show a couple of times, he's super Python guy, and he's you know you need to learn Python, you need to learn how to do this stuff. You know, Cody, you've you've been telling Tony and I for years, you know, that we need to learn how to do, you know do anything relating to coding stuff with automation or GitHub or whatever. So you know, it, it just for for basic sysadmin people that are out there still at the bottom levels of virtualization admins, um, 
and I, I talk to them all the time still. There, there's still lots of us out there, and I lump myself into that group still, even as an SE for VMware. Um, you know, it, 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 when you hear all these different, you know, bu buzzwords and, you know, um, so solutions and all these different things that are out there in the industry, it's really hard to, like, know which one you really should be giving your attention to. And, and it, I think because there's so many different paths you can take, you can take, it can just kind of, you know, confuse and bewilder you and just make you angry and, um, you end up, you know, in a lot of cases doing nothing and you just kind of keep on trucking. Um, so, you know, w w the question in that is, you know, is there really a clear path as to where sys today's sysadmins should be focusing their knowledge and time and ability to learn things? Be, you know, like, is it, is it smarter to work on one thing or the other, or is there a parallel stream here that we should be on? I mean, I think it really depends on where you are at in your career and where your company is at as well. Um, you know, one of the really nice things that I like about being in IT is that you have all of these different ways to do things. There are several different verticals. You know, you know, if you you know roll back to you know networking, you know operating systems, net, uh, storage, and and so forth. I mean, there's all these different variables that that you can look into and be interested in and, and learn about. And that's kind of the same situation that we're in now um, as we're getting towards this whole, you know, idea of, of infrastructure as code. Um, and, and, you know, because all of these things kind of tie into one another. So while you, you may not be able to be a master of all of them, you can at least learn something. So find out something that either you're, you're the most interested in or find something that is the most lacking on the team that you're on. Um, you know, and if nothing else, I, I mean, the, the first place that I would start looking at would be into source control and, and using Git-based repositories, you know, just because, you know, at, one, you want to share information, you know, nobody wants to be the, the holder of all of the tribal knowledge and information like that, that doesn't help anybody outside of just you. So if you can get to the point where you're sharing this information in a way that everybody can access um, you know, one, that's tremendous. And then mm -hmm. two, when you start getting more down the road with, with source control, you can see how these Git repositories are actually telling a story about each one of these resources that are out there. You know, you can see, uh, you know, the changes that were made. You can see the people who made those changes. Uh, and hopefully people are actually adding in the, you know, the necessary comments and whatnot to see why all of those changes were made. Because I, I think that gives a whole lot of backstory uh, to the reasons why things are the way that they are, you know, and, and from that point, I mean, you, you know, programming language, Python, PowerShell, Ruby, you know, whatever, that's all going to be something that's, that's either personal, you know, a personal preference or an yeah. organization preference. So, I mean, learning one of those, I mean, even then, you know, if, if you take a look at some of the infrastructure as code type scenarios, you don't even really need to learn a programming language. That's kind of the beauty behind uh, infrastructure as code, uh, but you need to be able to to understand like the tool and whatever file for format that it's using. You know, so it, you know, no offense to Chris Williams, you know, lear learning Python is great. Cody and I are are both huge advocates for for Python, uh, but I I think you know unless you have a reason to learn Python, like I'm I'm sure he's greatly offended, Cody. 
I'm okay with that. <laughs> Normally, I'd make I, a joke here, but like Chris is the nicest guy in the world. I know, so right? You yeah. You kind of be like, "Don't, don't hurt Chris. Don't hurt Chris, pal. Uh, it's not okay. It's okay. I offend all tall people equally." <laughs> Uh, we talk about you above the clouds yeah <laughs> how's the air up there yeah all right um yeah and it, it, i guess and this is just the thing that you know as, as i get more plugged into vmware and learn more about how to do my job and you know it's it it, it it's a ride for sure i mean i i just i just got back from the the week of start live in palo alto um, which, you know, there's, there's, there's good and bad in that week just because it's, you know, a lot of corporate onboarding stuff. Um, but there's things that you learn along the way as well. And, and part of it is after, after like the, the thing that I took away, not even, not even from directly the being, you know, being in, in the, in the training classes that week, but the thing that I sort of figured out that I needed to do for myself is to figure out, you know, as an SE, what a uh, success plan looks like for my interaction with my customers. So, um, and 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 even just figuring out, you know, a uh, almost like a checklist of how to engage and properly work with me. You know, this that sounds extraordinarily um, pompous, <laughs> but you know, I'm 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 supporting like seven states worth of people. So, you know, I got to have sort of a plan there, but, but at the same time, you know, I feel like for, for learning this kind of stuff, I think because there's so many different solutions that people can plug into nowadays and because there's so many different ways people can go, I feel like it's kind of the same, the same is true for, for that aspect of, of this as well, where you don't kind of start with a plan to say, I'm going to learn this and then I'm going to go here and then this is going to do that. Um, you can easily just go nowhere so like you know and to you know building on tony's question a little bit um you know book learning is good but you know uh, how how do how do people start to see like um real pro you know pr practical solution and feedback in their day-to-day -day jobs like what what's the quickest way to a win um when learning a new, you know, solution language. And I'm, I'm just going to call, call them that solution languages, um, be it power CLI or PowerShell or whatever. I mean, how, how is there, is there, you know, anything that stands out that says like, if you are trying to get somewhere, this is sort of the quickest path to victory. I mean, it, it depends on the scenario. Of course. Um, but... I, I mean, like, one of the things that, that I found was, you know, basically, you know, I, I, way back when, when I was on the, the sysadmin side, probably two or three roles ago, uh, you know, one of the big things that, that was asked upon me was to create this report, you know, and, you know, this report was something that was very tedious to, to generate and create. You know, they wanted to know things like what VMs were created, what VMs were modified, what, uh, you know, all sorts of other things along those lines. And, and it was very, you know, it, it was, it was a good day of my life trying mm -hmm. to figure out this, this report. 
And it was something that annoyed me. It was something that I found out later on. It was something that was, you know, when it was given to the people that it was desired for, they would spend about five minutes actually looking at it before moving on to, to other things. <laughs> Typical, so like, right? Yeah. It, you know, it basically turned into busy work. Uh, and, and so that was one of those things that it, in my mind, that was like, okay, we have to automate this. We have to make it better. Uh, we have to make it so that this is something that I don't dread. Like this was a Friday activity like every week. So it, it was something that made me actually dread going into work on Fridays. because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have to do this terrible report. Uh, and, and nobody else wanted to do it. And I was the senior member, so right. I, I was tasked with it. Um, and so that was that was basically a use case type scenario of, okay, so how can I automate it? And then it was figuring out, you know, what's going to be the easiest way to pull this information back from my environment to create this report? Um, and that was really where Power CLI was was kind of the the shining star there uh, of being able to, to, you know, get this information, pull uh, information from from events and tasks output it into a table and then export it as a CSV into a nicely created uh, Excel spreadsheet. And then here you go, boss man, we're, we're, we're all set. Uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of Vima keynotes here recently on, you know, kind of how to, to get more into this SRE mindset or, or site reliability engineer mindset. Um, and, and this was basically known as toil. You know, trying to get away from the things that you don't want to do, these, these things that are tedious and don't really add value. Right. Um, you, you know, trying to eliminate toil is, is really how you get started because you find these, you know, tiny use cases. And then from that point, it's, you know, what makes the most sense to you or what makes the most sense to this current situation and rolling with it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I similar situation where, uh, I kept having issues with my WSS servers constantly running out of space and you had to manually do that. And I'm just like, there's gotta be a way to automate this. So I just kind of dove in and I was tired of doing that task every two, three weeks, the, the repository would fill up and just kind of ran with it. Like you're saying, like use case is key. It's interesting because like the way the, <clears throat> the story Kyle told is pretty much identical to why I learned, I learned Python. You know, I had friends who, who did like web stuff, right? Like they were always like in, in the mm -hmm. enterprise that you always have that like, group of friends you know that builds reports for like some group and i'd always bug the same guy's name steven carnes um and he i would bug him for like hey can you can you show me can you build a report for me on this on this random thing and he would like use dark magic and hackery to create a report for me on a web page somewhere and it got to the point where like i couldn't just keep asking him every week for something right so like i was I, when i had my first daughter I was like, I'm going to learn Python. Like, I, I, I want to learn language. And I learned it from the perspective of how to create reports, like how to build a page that would pull data out. And I wrote a thing that would go in over REST API to vCenter and pull a bunch of information about VMs and dump them into a, into a page. And then like you start taking this and you start building out more. And you, now you have this framework that like gives you your list. So adding another column is not that hard because you've done all of, all of the hard work. And then you start learning how to parse data. You start learning how to filter it. You start learning how to present it back out. And then you want to change the size of a column. So you start playing with, with style stuff. And like, it just, it bridges into other things, but like reporting is such a common use case. Like when we, when Kyle and I do our, our Python training session for, for VM world, we always approach it from like a reporting perspective, like how to pull a bunch of information out. So it's like, mm -hmm. how do you authenticate? How do you return data? How do you parse data? And then how do you present data back? 
um, just because it resonates with so many admins, right? Like as admins, we always get asked, hey, I, I need information about a bunch of things that you probably are gonna have to do manually. Like, and us finding a way to build that into like some form of easily consumable report that can be repeated is a very good thing. And, and the other nice thing about doing it with reports is that you're you're pulling information. These are all what's known as you know safe commands because you're yeah, not making any modifications, you know, to to your environment. So you're you know there there's no danger there. There's you know there's no fear of you know mass generated you know craziness that you have to go back through and clean up. No, that, those are good points. It non-destructive changes, things you don't have to worry about breaking and you can learn. And and that's another good point and another good plug for the hands-on labs too, is you can go in there and play around without worrying about breaking anything in your environment, uh, production environment. If you don't have a home lab either, I mean, that's a really good way to go to learn and not worry about breaking anything. And, and Kyle, did I, or did I not hear you recommend using the hands-on labs for testing public scripts? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I I wouldn't want to run some of those scripts in in my personal environment. Right. So, I mean, well, why not run it in the hands-on labs? If if something breaks or goes haywire, you just hit reset and boom, you have a new lab. Uh, now the question is always, you know, how do you get information from from your your personal system or or the internet into the hands-on labs? Because majority of them don't have internet access. Right. But you know, you can copy paste like a champ from you know, from your desktop or laptop into HOL. So as long as you're not using something that's too crazy, you're generally pretty okay. A lot of the things I've heard too, as far as learning it is taking example code from the internet and just grabbing it and trying to dissect it and see how it works. And obviously if you got an environment like hands-on labs and test it at that point, but a lot of my questions, especially specific to you, Kyle, were around syntax of not being, not growing up as a programmer, not having any, you know, zero exposure to it. It comes like nat natural to you guys, but I'm like, okay, how do I make this work? I mean, I, I get the individual commands like get dash VM, right? That makes complete sense to me, but how do I get the syntax of getting to the point of this is the workflow of what I want it to do how do I get the context and the syntax around that? that that's always been kind of my challenge. Uh, and I, I mean, when, when you say it comes naturally, that's, you know, it comes naturally to somebody who's done it for over a decade now. <laughs> you know, so you know, to be fair, it, I, I don't want to, you know, toot my own horn that much, but yeah, it, I mean, it is definitely one of those situations where, like Luke Deacons and I try to explain that every year in the PowerCLI deep dive, and, and Cody and I have explained it in our, our Python session as well. It, it's kind of one of those situations of, you know, job number one is, is just making it work. You know, job number one is just getting to the point of having the output uh, that is required. Everything else past that it is all, you know, you know, basically for show, you know, or trying to make it more performant or, you know, trying to get pretty. You know, well, Exactly. You know, like, like Cody was saying earlier, you know, making your, your column size a, a specific length, things, things of that nature. That's certainly not something that is required of it, but it is certainly a nice to have. Um, and, and that's something that comes with time. It's, you know, that's certainly something that's learned, you know, either by you know, doing it yourself or, uh, you know, reading somebody else's code through, you know, Stack Overflow or blogs or, you know, wh whatever, 
um, is your preferred method of, of learning. But here's the thing, like, <clears throat> and this goes back to, like, this goes back to where this all started around, like, learning foundational things. Like, I guarantee if, if I told Kyle, hey, Kyle, how do I find out the size of a VM? He's not going to know the commandlet off the top of his head, like, get VM size, right? Like, it's not, like, it, it, there's a process that you have to go through to find these things. And that's the thing that, like, we learn of, out of doing this as often as we do it's not the end state of like the in command on how to get this maybe for like the big things right like you might learn that out of habit but it's only because you're answering that same question a hundred times it's not because you innately know that like this is the command for everything right but what you learn is the path to break this down and like as you start like working on coding languages infrastructure as code cicd you start learning these behaviors and these tasks on how to take a bigger thing and break it down into smaller things. So like if I need to get the VM size, I'm probably going to start at a, at a place and work back through that to get to the point where I see like that VM size. Silly example, it's kind of contrived, but like the point is learning how to approach these things makes it easier to find the in-state answer, right? Like getting a list of VMs, I know that I need to authenticate first. I know that I need to store like some form of authentication credentials. I know that I need to get all the VMs and I need to sort them. Like there's chunking this out into manageable blocks. And then you solve each one of those blocks. You don't just solve this like monster problem because then you get overwhelmed and you tap out and you're like, I don't have time for this. But when yeah. you start to break this down and say, okay, I just need to get the API called to return data. And once I get it to return data, I can start to massage that data. Like I never jump right into like sorting without ever succeeding at the API call first. I make sure I can get a callback that I can actually see all of my data. And then I start parsing that data down. And then I start creating the table that I want it to sit in. And then I create maybe the UI, right? Like you chunk these things out. And that's like, it, you see this as a, like a common theme across like multiple aspects of our technology. We see this in, in containers and microservices, people taking common functionality and placing them in the same, in the same container or the same thing to do a task, right? Like how we break up services, it makes things more manageable. We see this in VRO when we break up longer running tasks into smaller manageable workflows and nest them into something bigger. Like these are the things that people need to learn to do it's less about like the technology of hey how do i build a container and it's more about how do i logically segment these things out because there's a million resources to help you to help you with the tech side of it it's far more challenging to understand how you want something broken up versus how to actually do that in tech so let me lay on my problem on you guys because this is really why i do the show so that i can get some free therapy <laughs> um god bless william lamb the guy is really smart and he makes brilliant scripted scripts for deploying things but i honest to god have never ever gotten one of them to work <laughs> and and i'm just like and, and and everything everything you read online is just like oh if you need to do this we'll just run this script and deploy it and it works and this goes back to my days as an ex as a microsoft exchange admin I mean, there is PowerShell scripts everywhere on how to do stuff for Exchange. And for the life of me, I mean, I would spend a whole day trying to figure out how to do something on a handful of mailboxes and then just give up and do it manually. And, and so, and I, and, I, and I know that this is something that other admins just beat their head against the wall all the time. Is it's, it seems like, you know, it should be so simple to just 
grab this, make it big, formulate it the way you want to do it, run it, and it's done. But for so many people, that is not the case. It just, you, you, you miss like one little teeny tiny thing somewhere. It's just some little detail that just breaks the whole thing. So, you know, for frustrated people, like, how, how do you go about figuring out and, and like troubleshooting these things? I mean, is, besides just asking for help, which, you know, I'm selfish and I don't like to do that. Um, you know, like, is, is, am I the only one here who's, 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 you know, tried to run these things and they just don't work ever? No, so what I'll I'm, say is I'm when I try to too. run them, when I try to run them without reading them first, it sounds like I'm being funny, but like, but I'm, I'm being hundred percent serious. Like when I pull it down and I take like a tweet literal and I say like, and it says run this and you can have that. And I just pull it down and run it. It doesn't work. That's not on, that's not on anybody other than myself. Because right. then I go in and I find, I find 12 lines of configuration and I find examples that like somebody like William has taken the time to put on, put on like on the GitHub that I didn't take the time to go in and dig into. Mm -hmm. um, and then I find, okay, like for the subnet mask, I did slash 24 here, but in reality, it's expecting it's expecting the full <laughs> the full two five five two five five right. It's expecting that it expanded out, right? Um, so like, I find that like Williams scripts a great a great example. If you go in and you pull apart his lab script, it's all modular, right? He's got he's got enables and disables around every aspect of the lab because he's built that script super modular. Mm -hmm. It goes back to like the whole breaking a problem down thing. He doesn't run this as one linear script that literally runs line by line. He runs like 10 functions that if you've enabled them or disabled them in the switches it runs or doesn't run mm -hmm. right and it just so happens to live in one file but he could very easily take each one of those functions and put them in a different ps1 file import them into the main one and run it that way too because they are modular in that way um there is a level of onus on people to to read the docs and to read the, the script like or read the configuration and learn where that's at. And I, I don't think we always, I don't think we always put that like. It's okay. You can call me lazy. And, it's okay. No, but I mean, <laughs> like, we're all guilty. We're all guilty of it. Like it's not a, it's not a diss, but it, but it is, it is a fact. And like, especially someone like William who, who spends a ton of time building this stuff out. Like it's not always, it's not always like on the forefront to handle every nuance of, of like configuration environments. But to be blunt, that goes back to the Git thing also. If you see it, if you see a gap and you see a documentation lack and you see like, man, I failed on this part 10 times, I guarantee that other people have failed on that same part. PR, a hashtag with the with an explanation behind it. So it's commented out in the code and tell someone the, the problem that you had and how to fix it. And let William and send William a message, hey, I dropped this PR. Can you take a look at it? Because William would love people to help with documentation or on descripts. I guarantee that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the things that, that's always difficult is, you know, as somebody who has released scripts into the wild is trying to accommodate everybody's environment because you know, everybody's Keep environment crafted is different. home labs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> environment is different. Everybody has different scenarios and nuances and, um, you know, just something as small as a change in, in the way that a data store is presented as, you know, NFS to, to vSAN to VMFS can can all make total different changes to the way that a script works. Um, and, and there's a lot of logic. There's a lot of time spent 
um, behind, you know, trying to work out some of those nuances. So like if, if you read even like through Williams, um, his nested lab deployment script, like there are so many different pieces. It, it's, you know, it, if you if you were to break out all the logic that, that kind of have to go through and, and break everything down into these modular pieces, like it's probably a super, super short script, but because of having to add that logic, having to be able to, to understand and, and break it all up to be modular, that's what can also make it complex. Um, and, and what means that, you know, some people, maybe such as yourself, don't actually want to read it because they, <laughs> they look at this massive thing and you're, right. and you're like, what, 2,000 lines of code? Like, I'm not going to read this. Well, um, and, but and, one of the things that... My, in my own defense, you know, as, a, as an administrator guy, like, I guess I never really necessarily understood that to get said outcome, I had to actually read through and understand the entire script. Me as a, Me as a stupid admin just says this thing will do this thing for me. All I have to do is fill in these couple of variables, push go, and I get the easy button. Because that's all I really want. I mean, that's the, that's the SDDC promise, is we give you the, everybody the easy button. And the easy button turns out to be you have to learn how to code things. Well, that's not really easy, is it? Yeah, but so, so like, but like, for example, with the with Williams script, as, and I know, like, I know we're just using that as an example here. Right. Like, it very clearly says in the documentation that you have to modify the variables. To, to modify the parameters in order for this to deploy, change these values to suit your environment. And no one thinks that anyone has to learn 2000 lines of code, but there is definitely like 75 lines of code that aren't really code. It's just a variable name and a value. Okay. And like, so it's like, it's like, it's like reading the GitHub around that. And like, and the more thing I want to harp on, because like you've got, your point is super valid because I've done this before. I know Kyle's done this before, like where we just jump into a thing and it doesn't work. And then we're pissed off because the thing didn't work the way we thought it was going to. But where I want to like bring this back to is the documentation thing. If there's a gap and there's a confusion and there's something you're not getting, and when you read it on the, on the GitHub page, it's still not clicking for you. PR that <laughs> like, file file an issue and say hey there's a lack of clarity on this I, I, you know, I appreciate what you guys are doing I appreciate the help but can we add some better clarity or can somebody sit with me can we get on a zoom William will jump on a zoom in a heartbeat to help solve solve problems if you're going to help him solve problems also if you're like hey I'd love to convert this into a mobile Tony walking through a house um I'd love to convert this into better docs on the on the page so that so that people don't get stuck where I got stuck. Um, that's that's like the nature of, of collaboration. And that brings us back to like the way we approach community that approach brings back to how we help other people. And it makes us better. I never learn better than when I'm trying to teach people things. Yeah, and I also want to point out that or, or you know, just just say that you don't necessarily have to learn a programming language. But you you should be able to at least kind of you know understand some of the lines of code that you're running, uh, you know. So therefore, you can at least be able to understand what the error message means, uh, you know. If if nothing else, but then you know, what is the desired output from that error, mm -hmm. or or from what command that's that's running that's creating that error? Because that also helps in creating opening up that issue, or you know sending that to somebody who can either fix it or, or help you understand what's what's going wrong you know there, there are some some basics that would be nice in in terms of that in instead of you know the occasional person who's like i don't know it just says red i i didn't i didn't actually read to see what it says i just said okay it's not going to work and moved on 
that's just you know the, yeah every every and that was that's always been my frustration with PowerShell and running things in that is like you get these innocuous error messages where you're just like I don't know what it's trying to tell me it's just you know it's just confusing but um I mean I I've seen and experienced the benefit of how with of this stuff actually working you know in a previous project I ran um some of the power NSX stuff for an environment and this you know group of engineers built a bunch of a whole bunch of scripts that would just plow through a NSX for vSphere installation and literally document the whole thing for you um from firewall rules to you know networks that are created and how they're all connected together and I mean it would just spit this all out in a couple of spreadsheets and PDFs within a few seconds and I'm just like this is a godsend um it was just it was you know it saved me probably a week worth of work in 10 minutes. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, in their examples of how to do it, they actually prescripted and said, you know, whatever machine you're running this on, make sure it has, you know, this version of PowerShell, make sure it has this version of PowerNSX, make sure it has this version of this. And, you know, it was very prescriptive and said, follow these, you know, yellow brick road path and you'll get there. And, you know, in that case, since because I feel like because they kind of gave me this roadmap to follow, it was it was super easy and it worked. So the the flip side to this that we that I see like and this is and Kyle I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. We see this in, from like a BU standpoint often. So for people who aren't VMware employees, business units, the different groups inside of VMware. What happens when you script when you not script as in code? When you lay every single step for a thing out, you train people to follow every single step, and it starts to diminish critical critical thinking ability. Right, like, and that sounds like really mean to say, but it like there's a time and a place for prescriptive. Here's how you do every step, mm -hmm. and there's also a time and place for here's the broad strokes. You've got to learn to like dig in and figure and figure this stuff out. Right. A perfect example when I did a bunch of the early uh, cloud automation services, drive automation, cloud content for the for the field teams. I did a bunch of very detailed demos, and then it became. Well, I'm following the script and it's not working, so I can't, so I can't move forward now. I can't do my demo because step 52 isn't working. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, just because it doesn't say vSAN data store and it says data store 01 doesn't mean that your, your demo goes off the hinges. Do you have a data store? Yes, I have a data store. Use that data store. It doesn't matter what the name is. So there's like a balance there is where I'm going with this. It's like it, it, it gets challenging to create content in that way because then people rely on it being this step by step, every single thing in place, which I get like people want to know for sure that they can, they can do things the exact same way you did. But at the same time, you also have to be able to, to pivot and react. Like what happens when the firewall ports are closed at your customer site? You just say, well, we're done. I guess we can't do anything else. Or do you yeah. look at other tasks that don't require firewall connectivity to finish while they open up while they open up ports, right? Like there's critical thinking is a is a is a developed skill. It's not something we're all born with. It's something no. you have to like train and look at and 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 work on. And I don't always think that we work on that enough. I think I think Cody just told you to RTFM. I wouldn't say I wouldn't see RTFM, <laughs> but. Just RTM. Maybe you should read more. <laughs> RTM. <laughs> hey, this is a tech crowd. That could also mean release to manufacturing. Ooh, Ooh getting real fancy yeah, on this now. That's right. 
when I move your mic away a little bit, you got a little, you got real close to Barry White on me. Don't you like that? Only only when we're in private. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> okay. I'm the one who got speeches about about saying saying inappropriate things. What on the call? No. <laughs> um. All right, we're getting a pretty close to time check here, so. Um, breaking news that I just saw. VExpert applications are open, everybody. I did see that come through um, as well, yes. They close January 10th, so get those things in. Um, all right. Uh, Tony, is there any, before we jump out of this topic, is, and is there anything you want to tie back into or question you have before I move on? No, I'm good. All right. Um, Okay, so I wanted to—I warned you guys at the beginning. I want to try to get a quick, you know, five-minute solution out of you, out of both you guys, just to, you know, because there's a, so many different suites of products within VMware, so many different solutions we, you know, can provide to customers. Um, you know, what is a use case and a thing that we can do that probably doesn't get talked about very much, um, you know, in our in our wheelhouse of, of solutions we deliver. Um, be it, and that could be anything, you know, but obviously you guys have specific areas that you cover. So if you want to cover those, that's great. Um, so problem, what would you know, define the problem and then define how we, how we address it in five minutes or less. So anybody want to start first? Yeah, I'll go. Uh... Uh, obvious like call out for for my current role in the, in cloud native apps you know we we talk a lot about about like declarative apis we talk about bringing kubernetes into the platform um but i what i would say is take some time to really look at what tonzu is like take a look at at the tonzu web pages underneath vmware the the kate.vmware.com web pages and understand what that really means and how we're really going to look at bringing application applications into vSphere and like modern cloud native applications in, into vSphere and look at what that does from an ecosystem standpoint. Like the power of this is not just throwing a cluster up in, in vCenter, it's all of the things that come along with that and all of the stuff that is in that ecosystem. So spend some time looking at like the big CNCF projects and, and start thinking about how these projects play for, for a vSphere administrator of tomorrow, right? The person who's going to be administrating these environments and enabling developers to consume this. Because we all know that what's going to end up happening is that the initial run of this will be to, to please developers and to give developers access, but that ultimately administrators are going to be responsible for these platforms. And they're going to start learning how, like they're going to need to start learning how to consume this. So spend some time looking at, at what Tanzu is, what's underneath Tanzu as a as a application delivery platform it's not really an application delivery platform but it's a a platform for modern applications so so that's my uh, that would be also that, look at the kubernetes th sorry that would be my question really is what is the problem that tanzu solves for customers well so there's that we could dive into 20 minutes on that alone. Um, Tanzu is about build, run, building, running, and mad, managing modern applications, right? And there's a number of layers to each one of those, each one of those things. You know, from a build standpoint, inside of application delivery, with the stuff that we're bringing in from Pivotal, manage from things like Tanzu Mission Control, running from things like like Project Pacific, right? And how and how that plays. Like each one of these build, run, and manage are all individual problems, and a number of problems that live underneath each one of those. So spend time learning what those 
what those solutions are underneath those. Like, so when I say build, I mean like building applications, building the, like the actual applications that we're going to be hosting inside of a project specific environment running. How do I run those applications? How do I run my Kubernetes clusters? How do I manage multiple clusters? Um, these are all different layers of a problem. Like the Tanzu, the Tanzu onion has many, many layers to it. And people can spend a lot of time digging into that. Um, but like I said, spend some time looking at the ecosystem of, of Kubernetes too. Like just coming back from KubeCon last week, look at the CNCF projects that are out there. Look at, spend time looking at what service mesh is. It's it's something that is talked about often and not many people, I didn't, probably six months ago, I didn't truly understand what a service mesh was. Um, but when you start digging in, you start learning it and you look at things like what Linkerd is, what, what console is doing, console being a little bit more newer in the service mesh space. Um, look at what Istio is doing and like why these solve problems. NSX service mesh is, is coming. Look at what, what that is. That would be my, my advice. It's a, it's a broad solution, but it's because there's like a hundred different problems inside of there that it's looking to solve. So it's a necessary complexity. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Kyle, what do you got for me? So I would probably uh, say, you know, Take a, taking a look at VMware Cloud on AWS and the capability of deploying a single host SDDC, um, because that's, you know, think about it in, in terms of, you know, usage for a development type environment. You know, say, you know, you've tried using the HOL and either you need to bring in a ton of, ton of files or, you know, a ton of customizations to the HOL that, you know, the HOL obviously isn't going to support because the HOL is there for that single lab and not mm -hmm. for your own private usage, you could, you know, instead use a single host uh, VMware Cloud on AWS SDDC. Um, it it does cost money, but of course it's it's you know a whole lot smaller than you know begging for an environment uh, within your internal group. Um, plus, you get access to vSphere, NSX, um, all of these things that you can you know have the uh, same interaction as you would with a on-premises or cloud-based vSphere environment. Um, but there's no linkage, there's no dependencies on on your production or, or other environments. Uh, so it's it's kind of a, uh, a a nice and easy way to spin up temporary labs, uh, temporary development environments, be able to you know essentially mimic uh, you know developing against a vSphere environment. Um, and you know once you're done, boom, delete it and it's gone. So I, I think that's one of those things that that is probably, uh, not discussed or not mentioned a whole lot. That is that is a, a really cool usage, and uh, you know, plus that that kind of gets you started. You know, down the down the path of of working with cloud based environments. Mm -hmm. I, I like that one a lot because that that one you know talks to you know a, a real thing that I think a lot of customers run into where they want to be able to test some stuff, but they don't maybe don't necessarily have infrastructure available to run that stuff on. Um, and I mean, you can do, you know, by the hour, right? For some of that stuff on, on VMC. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's a really good one, Kyle. Cool. Thank you very much. All right. I think that can wrap more or less wrap us up for today. Um, what, uh, are you, are you guys, is there anything you guys are looking forward to, to or excited about for next year as we're wrapping up the end of 2019 here? You know, 
I'm going to answer this in a, in a different way. Um, I don't want to really think about next year. I think it's things that will be seriously, like we oftentimes spend a lot of our, a lot of our energy looking at what's next. Right. We talk about like sales kickoff is coming and we're thinking about sessions for that. And a lot of us are starting call for papers, but something I've learned a lot during this job transition is the value of shutting your brain down Mm -hmm. and the value of giving yourself and giving yourself a break and, and letting yourself recoup. I'm glad that KubeCon is done. It was a blast, but I have no conferences in December. I have no conferences in January. I have no travel plans. I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to think about what's next year right now. I'm going to enjoy time with my girls. I'm going to enjoy time with the wife and play some video games. I'm going to do some lab stuff, but my, my advice to the community is spend some time to like, enjoy you enjoy the things you want to focus on and think a little bit less about what's coming next year right now this is the time to shut the engine off gee thanks for setting that one up (laughs) tell me about your 42 call for paper submissions kyle (laughs) it's 48 right now well you know and uh, well actually this is thanksgiving week so what are you thankful for Ooh, uh probably the community uh, you know, because I, I don't think that I would be to the point in my career uh, that I am right now without the community um, and, and not necessarily the the V community as it was, uh, but just the community in general, you know, being able to uh, go to conferences, go to events and, and have, you know, discussions with all of these people who are very open um, to discussing their own environments, to being able to discuss their own um, you know, the way that they manage things or perform things in, in their jobs as well. Um, certainly a, a, a big thing that I'm thankful for, because without being able to learn from those other folks in the community, you know, it, that absolutely made me uh, a better, better admin, better engineer, mm-hmm. uh, better architect, better, you know, whatever you want to call me uh, and, and what my role and, and responsibilities actually are at you know, I'm, I'm very much better for it. So very thankful for, for the community. Yeah, I, I can echo that. I mean, and I'm, I'm thankful just to be at VMware. I mean, it's, it's, it's a extraordinarily, um, unique company, um, to be a part of. So, you know, I'm, I, it, even just, even having just been to Palo Alto, it still kind of just doesn't feel a hundred percent real yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not even sure when it will or if it will, but, but you know, it's, it's an interesting, uh, I'm, 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 I'm learning probably more than I realize every, every day. Um, and that's, that's something that, you know, not, not a lot of, not, not a lot of companies are, are that willing to just let you learn things. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Tony. I, I'm going to kind of echo uh, Cody's thoughts. I'm looking forward to some some downtime over the holidays. Uh, very thankful for my family. I've done more traveling since I joined VMware than I have in my entire life probably combined over the last eight months. So I'm looking forward to some downtime with the family. Um, as a lot of the listeners probably know, I've got uh, a baby boy who's a, a year old now um, and just kind of watching him grow and, and even some of the travel slowing down a little bit here um, it has been helpful. Like a I was actually on a conference call. I was on a work call last week when he took his first steps and I was here. I was able to see it and, and cool. 
even my even my coworkers on on the work call were like, "Hey, w- what just happened?" Because they you know they heard the excitement in the background, and I was able to show them on video him <laughs> him walking, and they got to see it. I mean, so it, it, just just a cool cool thing. Um, I'm looking forward to. Um, the downtime, like I said, uh, again, super thankful as well to to be at VMware. It's been a, a career dream, and I couldn't have done it without the community. So I'm very thankful for the community too, uh, and especially folks like uh, Cody and Tim Davis and a lot of the internal folks that really uh, stuck up for me, gave me a good reference, and, and helped me out. Cool. All right, guys. Any last words of wisdom, or I'm going to wrap this bird up. Put it in the oven. Put in the uh, put put this bird in the oven. Yeah, and just you know, if you're using a turkey fryer, use it outside. That's your safety yes. tip for the for the week. So, all right, thank you, gentlemen. I'm gonna play us out, and uh, we can wrap it up offline. So, thank you very much. Once again, this has been GigaCast episode 33 for Monday, November 25th, the pre-Thanksgiving episode. Thanks again to Kyle Ruddy and um, Mr. Cody D'Arkland for joining us one more time. Um, always glad to have you in the house. And uh, we are... I, I'm, I'll, I haven't tossed it any, any invitations out yet, but you know, I'd like to do probably another big end-of-the-year panel episode, so look on the Twitters for invites for that. Um, we'll see if we can get another um, Festivus gathering together. So thanks again, everybody, and we will chat at you later.